Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with the head of counseling at Parental EQ, Stephanie Luten. How are you today, Stephanie? I'm good, thank you. Um, just before we start, do you want to sort of introduce a little bit about yourself and what your specialties are? Sure. So, um, as you know, my name is Stephanie. I've um, I've been working with children and families for the last uh, nine years um, in lots of different spaces, but mainly in counselling. So I do a lot of children counselling, providing play therapy, um, as well as a lot of um, parent education, running parenting programs and providing parents with the support that they need to support their children. Um, my passion is really in the parent-child relationship and connecting parents to their children and helping them learn how to communicate and look at the needs behind some of the behaviours that happens for children. So that's, how long have you been doing that? Um, Just for about nine years, yeah, okay. give or take, yeah. Wow, that's a really long time. <laughs> Um, so we're going to be talking about parent-child communication today. Um, how would you sort of define that topic? So parent-child communication. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think for me, parent-child communication is an important topic. It's something that's kind of the, the foundation of everything that happens with a child as they develop. Um, if the communication is done well and it's and the connection is done well for the parents, everything else flows on a bit better and easier as well. But also I think with parent-child communication, it's not just about the talking. A lot of times we think communication is the talking, but it's actually about the listening, the body language, facial expressions, tone of voice, all of that kind of comes into play and also the understanding as well. So that's definitely definitely something that we're going to get further into uh, later on. Just to quickly um, start, we're going to start with a rapid fire questions, just sort of an icebreaker for the guests to get to know you really quickly. Sure. Um, okay, so the, just this is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of this. Um, first one is your favorite book. Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Oh, The Sound of Music. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I really like that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, how about your favorite podcast at the moment? Um, to be fair, I don't listen to much, but I do listen in when my husband listens to Property Couch. Property Couch. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So what about your favorite documentary at the moment? Um, this isn't really a documentary, but that new show inventing anna on netflix Ooh, yeah okay i can see that i can understand that <laughs> yeah. um how about your favorite news website 
news website um news.com.au okay yep sounds that's <laughs> that needs no explanation i guess yeah. <laughs> okay so the next part is definitely just going to be a little practice into looking into the practices. Um, what is the practice that you do to improve your personal communication? Um, often to help me improve my personal communication, I do a lot of self-checking to see how, where I am and how I'm feeling, but also kind of thinking from the other person's perspective, putting myself into their shoes and going, hey, hang on, they've said this to me is there another meaning or is there something else going on behind them? Especially with little children. It, I find it easier to do this with children than with adults sometimes. But with children, it's like, okay, they've said this to me or they've acted in this way. What is going on? So not just seeing the face value, but actually kind of trying to understand the underlying messages that they may not be, they don't may not know how to share with me. So I kind of try and look from their perspective and see if there's something else going on. That's how I help with that communication for myself. Okay. Um, so mm -hmm. what are three good things that you've sort of noticed that this practice sort of gets you to, gets you to hold? Um, I think the good thing is kind of, under, kind of not taking things personal to begin with and kind of understanding, hey, actually, when they've said this, maybe there's something else going on for them. So I can actually then see behind what's happening and then understand what's going on, try and understand at least what's going on and check in with them. So I, I can actually go, hey, I've noticed that you've said this. You're getting really upset. What's actually happening? So it actually get it's actually helps promote a bit more of a connection and communication in that way that I'm not just assuming things as well because it's really you know we get text messages and things a lot and it's really easy to make assumptions of what those mean so it helps me stop making some of those assumptions and kind of understanding what could be happening as well mm -hmm. and while like while there are really good there are good ways that that goes about there are definitely some challenges when it comes to sort of putting yourself in someone else's shoes yeah. um what challenges have you sort of found that this practice sort of gives you yeah, I think one of the main challenges is when you're yourself, you're heightened in your emotions as well. So when you're frustrated or you're stressed or you're, you know, in a mood or something, it makes it more difficult to put aside your own emotions and feelings and recognize what's going on with the other person. So that's definitely one bigger challenge. And often, you know, um, we all have things, times that we, we do get frustrated and get upset at things. And that's also very normal. But it's also being kind to yourself and going, okay. I'm starting to feel a bit frustrated. I need a bit of a break before I come back and have this conversation again. That's that's a really good way of putting it. Um, how do you think that this practice sort of impacts your perception in life? Um, I guess, you know, sometimes just understanding that, you know, kind of putting yourself into their perspective that sometimes you do get upset, you do get um, quite frustrated and that it's okay. It's almost trying to be a little bit forgiving and understanding in that. So I think um, in, a, in a way you try not to hold too many grudges then. You try not to hold on to things that are that have happened um, and that's probably better for you stress-wise anyways because you're not holding on to so much anger. You're just releasing going, okay, you know what, that's just, it's okay. We'll, we'll try and, you know, deal with it another time or, or think about what's going on. And that kind of helps you not hold on to things as well. So from this, would you definitely recommend 
Um, do you have any recommendations of any techniques that you can sort of put yourself, like how, what questions you ask when you put yourself into someone else's shoes, for example? I think um, questions that I would ask when I put myself into someone else's shoes, I'd be like, hang on, how are they feeling today? Um, did something happen? What's going on? What are they trying to tell you without telling you with words? So almost observing the body language or what's happened beforehand. Um, it's, it's definitely a challenging thing to do, to try and do that on the spot. So sometimes the reflection comes after, which is okay, because you can always come back to them and go, hey, I just noticed we had a bit of a, um, you know, conflict or a bit of a miscommunication there. I just want to check what's going on. And you can always come back and do that. And, and that's okay. So um, with this, I'm sort of relating it back to our topic today, which is parent-child communication. Mm. What role does a parent play in the perspective of communication? The parent plays the biggest role in that communication. Um, and that's because the parent's the adult. The child's brain hasn't fully developed yet. So the part of the brain that helps with that self-regulation and all those emotions, which is pretty much the front, you know, the frontal lobe of the brain, that hasn't fully developed. And it takes time for the child to have that fully developed. So it really is the adult that kind of has to stand up and be the guidance and be the one to lead some of this communication and help the child to communicate with what's going on. Because us as parents, we have more of the language. Children don't have the language. So we've got to either tease it out or kind of go, hey, I could see something's going on, what's happening, and try and look outside the box as well. So the parent is very important in this communication. They are the one that starts this communication and helps the child learn how this communication would actually look mm -hmm. as well. So with that, so um, reiterating that, how would mm -hmm. you – because I know there are a lot of, like in the human sense, there are a lot of people who sort of act rashly. And as a parent, it's very, very easy to sort of act rashly towards anyone, especially a child. How yeah. would you recommend to sort of take that time to sort of get into a place where you can communicate effectively? Um, I'm glad you asked that because that's one of the most important points for parents is that in order to not act rash, we actually have to take care of ourselves first as parents. So self-care is really important in that space because when we're heightened or we're not okay, we're not available to be in that space to communicate appropriately with the kids or have the space to hold their emotions mm -hmm. and help them through that. So we've got to try to recognize when we're not okay and step out and take a break before we come back in to have that conversation. If the child's safe, that you know, they might be having that, you know, really upset meltdown if the child's safe we might need to kind of take a step back take a break a breather and then come back and hey I noticed that you're really upset and that something's going on so it's almost trying to recognize that you're just bouncing off that emotion and it's not that they're doing this on purpose or that there's something against you mm -hmm. they're upset and they're trying to tell you something but they don't know how to tell you so it's almost that reminder for parents to remember that they're not doing this deliberately they're upset and they don't know what to say to you. And that message is easier to be heard when the parents are also okay. So kind of help that. And look, if you miss that opportunity in that moment, parents can always reflect on the, the situation after and then come back to it and repair that conversation. I've always liked to say to parents, you know, it's not about what you have done. It's very easy to just lash out and, and yell because you're stressed as well. But it's about what you do after what you have done. 
So how do you repair and connect after? And you can definitely use that as a way to teach children of how to manage emotions in those moments as well. Okay, so um, how does communication affect a parent and child interaction? What do you say? Yeah, as in um, the relationship or how they interact? How they would interact with one another. Okay, so if you think of it this way, um, if parents and children don't have great communication, child may start looking like they're less likely to turn towards the parent because they feel like the parents aren't understanding them or that they don't feel heard. And so that interaction might look a little bit um, strained or um, less connected. So even if the child is happy to be with the parents and play, the child may not open up and tell the parents exactly what's going on for them because they feel like every time they say something, they get kind of shut down. And it's, sometimes it's very subtle. You don't realize that you go, oh, you know, my child hasn't told me anything about what's happened and they're all completely fine. And maybe the child is fine. The child is okay. Or maybe the child doesn't feel comfortable enough sharing because it's like, well, you know, mom or dad is always just going to say the same thing and, you know, what's the point of saying that? So I guess it's, you know, that communication and having that door open and having that open communication is important so that when things happen, they will feel more comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happened. Sometimes what happens is kids tend to love telling you the best of the stories or the issues that they have at bedtime. The bedtimes are the time where parents go, no, we've got to go to sleep. You've got to go. And really, if we were able to take that time to have that communication there and then and actually find out what's going on, that struggle between bedtime might be less. And you might find out a lot of what's actually gone on that day for the child as well. Mm-hmm. So it's almost sometimes, um, you know, there could be a lot of strain arguments during the day, but it's because they haven't been able to tell you what's really going on. So they show you in that behavior. So that's why that communication is really important in that interaction because it stems a lot of, you know, it calms a lot of things down to if they were able to communicate and tell you what's going on because they've let it out of the chest. They don't have to hold on to it anymore. Okay. So... We talked. You talked about just then about the child not telling the parent or feeling that they can't reach out. Mm. Would that is that a big impact on a child's development as well? In, toward in the family sort of aspect. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, um, in the family aspect and child development in general. But if you're, you know, if you put yourself in a child's shoe, if you're holding on to so many things or so many upsets and and emotions, you're less likely to be able to take in other things and other learnings as well because you're quite weighed down by these emotions when they're not being released. So it does have some sort of effect because it does affect the ability for the child to kind of learn to their full potential as well. Um, There has been research that shows that, you know, children that are able to self-regulate and, um, have great emotional regulation actually do better academically in school as well um and also you know that connection with parents definitely would be really helpful as they move on to those older teenage years as well so this is really the you know when they're younger is that base and foundation that you want to help them build that so that they can then formulate better communication with the parents when they're older when it's actually more needed not maybe not as um you know, not, not as continuous or not as much, but it's definitely something that is needed uh, when they're older as well. Okay. Would you share with us some of the best ways parents can sort of build effective 
communication and what ages would you recommend it start? Yeah. So it, it, the best way to build communication, you start from the basics. So that is spending quality time with the children. So it's not just sitting there and talking to them, but actually doing fun activities with them. Because what you want to do is to strengthen that relationship that you have with them. And spending quality time, you can do that as soon as they're born. So when they're babies up to their teenagers, even adult children, that's always important to have that quality time. And if you have more than one child, that one-on-one quality time is important. And the reason being is you're trying to let them know that you're still there. You're trying to help them. You're trying to open that door for them and let them know that you're still there to talk to them whenever they need to. And when you get to spend that one-on-one time, sometimes what you notice is you might be playing a board game together or an activity together. And what happens is sometimes you're standing side by side. You might not be sitting straight you know, across from them. And they might, might start telling you about what's happened. You know, oh, it might be friendship problems at school. It might be they're a little bit worried about um, an exam that's coming up. You know, some of these things might start leaking out and coming out because they're feeling comfortable enough to talk to you because they're spending time with you. You're building that trust with them because that trust is what helps them feel comfortable enough to then tell you what's going on. So that's why the spending quality time is important because if you think about it, Kids are always idolizing the parents. The parents are everything to them. They want to spend as much time as they want with them. And that quality time as in that parent, no devices, spending that full attention with the child, that is really valuable for the child and for the child to fill their emotional cup and their needs in that moment so that they're then more comfortable enough to then have conversations they need to or build onto some of that conversation later on as well. The other thing um, that is important to do for parents in having great communication with children is to actually um, be the listener. Often what happens is when we start, um, when children start telling me something or, you know, this is what's happened, we go into the fix it mode. We want to fix it for them. And it comes from a really genuine, great place for parents wanting to protect their children, wanting to make sure the children are okay, wanting to make sure that they're happy. But really what we're doing is we're not actually listening to what's going on for them. And sometimes for children, all they want to feel is to be heard. Think of it in an adult perspective. Sometimes when we vent and we tell things to our friends and go, you know, this is what's happened to my day. If they start telling us what we need to do, we probably would just go shut off and go, okay, I've had enough of this conversation. I don't want to talk anymore. But if the the friend's like, oh, you know, that, that, that really is really crap day for you or that sounds really hard you're more likely to feel heard and feel like yeah I can talk to you again next time because I feel actually heard in this moment so that listening is important because you want the child to feel heard sometimes children are really great at finding solutions and that's a great teaching moment that parents can go into and help the children to learn some of those skills on their own obviously these are for older children But the listening and the hearing um, is definitely really important. I do it with my two and a half year old. I, I, you know, give him, you know, he gets upset and go, tell me what's going on. I listen and I help him through it. And that's, that's the end of the tantrum. That's the end of the, the, the frustration that he has because he feels heard. Often children or even teenagers or even adults have meltdowns or tantrums is because they don't feel heard. And when they don't feel heard, they kind of get louder. It's like when you're um, yelling down for, you know, dinner time across the corridor and no one answers you. You get louder and louder and louder until someone comes out. It's exactly the same thing that happens there. 
Um, a great way to actually do this listening is to use something called emotion coaching. Um, it's something that I often teach parents is to actually um, emotion coach children through the emotion. So really, there's a few steps to it. It really it's just basically acknowledging um, some of the emotions that they're going on, that's going on for them. So try and recognize what's going on, label some of those emotions, um, show them that you understand and empathize with them and reflect back what you've heard because sometimes we might hear it differently to what they're saying. And then just help them, let them know that you understand their emotions, that it must be really difficult for them. And and then if need be, then you help them try and look for that solution and work out what's going on or how do we work through this problem as well. Um, in part of the app that I, I work for, Parental EQ, they have lots of modules that teach some of these things as well. And sometimes um, I often send... Um, parents that I work with as well like a little little tree diagram that actually has some of these um great um reminders of what to do and what to say in those moments or what to re- remember to do as well because uh, sometimes we don't remember we forget and that's okay it's definitely all right yeah this sort of fits into um one of the audience questions so for example their their child when they take him out to cafes and things yeah he sort of has a need to throw a tantrum yeah so how would you effectively and she's also in the she's sort of getting close to a point where she doesn't like to bring him out and she doesn't want that to get to that point where she just doesn't take him out anymore because it's a good social situation it's still like how would you recommend that conversation like for a child to be heard but also Mm -hmm. for her to sort of communicate with him as well yeah how old is this child do you know um I think it's about five years old five years old okay so I guess you know for children when they go to cafes you've got to kind of think in their perspective so you were saying that the parent felt like the child had a need to throw a tantrum so I guess the question would be for the parent is what is going on for the child that they need to throw a tantrum is it that you're going to the cafe and you're having a conversation with other people so then the attention kind of diverts away from him is he bored um does he not like something in the environment um it, you know i'm just speculating here there could be lots of things reasons what of what's making him uncomfortable um and and trying to figure out what that is so a common thing really is that either they're bored or they just want you, they want to be part of the conversation or they want to be part of what you're doing and not just forgotten and left, you know, to finish their meal while you're off chatting with someone else. Mm-hmm. Because it's like almost like a survival instinct for kids. As soon as it's like the, as soon as you pick up that phone call, your kids are right on you because they know your attention is diverted. It's the same thing. So um, a few things, a few tips would be being prepared in advance. So having a chat to the child and saying, hey, we're going to the cafe. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. So that they're a little bit aware of what's happening or how long it's going to be and what they're going to do, maybe what they're going to eat and things like that. And then um, it will be good to have some activities on hand that they can do to kind of keep themselves occupied. So it might be a book, it might be coloring in, it might be um, a toy. I often try not to use technology if I can, because I think um, that cuts off that connection 
because mm-hmm. they would definitely just zone out and not talk to you. But having little like drawings um, and books would be great because every now and then as you have conversations, you can still turn back to each other and, hey, oh, I see what you've drawn. Because what they want is that connection point with you and they want to communicate with you and they want you to see what they're doing. They don't want you to just focus your attention somewhere else. The other thing is in that moment when they're throwing a tantrum is to actually cut through that tantrum and go, hey, I could see you're really, really upset. And to remember, he's not doing that on purpose to embarrass you, but he's probably uncomfortable about something and something's going on. So, hey, I could see you're really upset. And because he's five, he has a bit more language to tell you what's going on. So you actually ask him, I can see you're really upset. What's going on? Is there something bothering you or are you bored or did you want mommy to speak to you? What's happening? see what they say and then acknowledge oh I can see they might say you know I'm bored you know I've had enough of sitting here okay it sounds like you're really bored so what are some of the things we could do to help with that so then you can kind of maybe pull out a goodie bag of activities that you had put in put in away mm-hmm. definitely don't you know at the beginning pull everything out do one thing at a time so that you yeah. have extra things to do and then go okay so what else can we do what else and after they're settled then you can turn back to have a conversation with with the friend if it's just the two of you um it might just be that he's bored or he just doesn't like sitting still for that long time I mean it's really hard for kids to sit still at a cafe for a long time so you do need to give them something to do and some interaction it might be even having a conversation with him oh you know what is the uh, barrister doing um the, the barista doing over there uh, can you see the coffee cups there oh what can we do you can do some counting with them you go Oh, you know, um, I wonder what flavor is the foam in the in the milk, or what does that taste like? Have conversations with them, continually talk to them, so that it's not so that they feel interacted as well. If if it was just a two, if there were other people, then you know, kind of try and balance back and forth. It's hard, definitely really hard, but they're not doing it on purpose. I think that's the important thing to remember: is they're not doing it on purpose. They they have a need that they haven't been met or doesn't feel heard and they need someone to step in and do that. Okay. So like we all know that it's really, really important for parents to build effective communication early on. Mm. What are some other challenges that a parent could face when building effective communication? Sometimes challenges parents can't face is when kids turn away from them. So when kids turn away, so for example, they throw a tantrum, but they don't want you around. They don't want you to hug them. They don't want you to do anything. They want you to go away. That's a very common one. And what happens is when children want you to go away, they don't actually want you to go away. What they want is they want some space to help themselves self-regulate and manage that emotions before having any conversations. When they're in that heightened mode, it's something that we call that they have flipped the lid. And when that lid's flipped, any rational conversation is out the door. They, they don't have the space or the capacity to listen to anything you've said. And anything that you try to tell them and say to them, they get really overwhelmed. And that's when they have a huge meltdown or tell you to go away because they can't deal with it. So sometimes it's important to, to remember that it's actually okay to give them a bit of space. But check in on them. If, for example, some kids might say go away, but they actually don't want you to go away. I tested this out with my child and they don't actually want me to go away. They actually wanted me to just be there while they're still upset. So often I say, look, I can see you're really upset. I'm still here. I'll sit here and wait with you until you're ready. 
frequency you're ready to have a conversation or chat to me. And sometimes that helps because they they know that they can be safe enough in their emotions and I'm still there. I'm willing to hold them in that as well. And when they're ready, they'll come to me and let me know what's going on. Sometimes they might want to cuddle. Sometimes they might not. And that's okay because each child is different. Each child needs comforting in a different way. I've worked with children where in order for them to calm down, they, they need to do puzzles. And that's um, and that helps them calm down in that space by doing something different and doing something to distract themselves from that emotion or to help them kind of breathe and calm down. Some kids might like the breathing. Some kids might like different things. So you've got to work out what works for your child. But just because they tell you to go away doesn't mean they really want you to go away. If you think about it for yourself, when you're upset and you tell someone else to go away, you probably might want them to kind of come and check in on you and see if you're okay. You might not want them to completely go away as well. So if that child does want you to move out the room, say, okay, I will wait for you outside the room and maybe check in with them every 10, 10, 15 minutes and see if they're okay and if they're ready to come out and have that conversation. Because sometimes when you're heightened, you really do need that kind of calm down moment before anything else happens as well. But yeah. definitely it's back to that point of try not to take it too personally and that it's okay for them to have those meltdowns emotions. A lot of times the other thing that parents might struggle with is they don't want them to have those meltdowns. They don't want children to be angry or upset. But if you think about it this way, if children have never been upset or angry in their life or always got in their way, they're never going to learn how to deal with it when it comes up. So these are actually great learning opportunities for them to learn how what these emotions feel like and what to do when that happens with your help and your guidance right there beside them. Okay. Um, we might go to do the role play part, one of the ones <laughs> I was really excited to do. Yeah. Um, so Stephanie has sent me um, a little role play to do on the side. I I am not the best when it comes to role playing, so I will try my hardest to um, – to pull this character off as well as I can. <laughs> um, so scenario. Um, should I read out the scenario? Sure. Yeah. Yep. So the scenario that was given is a seven-year-old girl who has been unusually quiet when being picked up from school. While the parent continues to work from home, the child frequently walks into the room and starts to drop things loudly in the room or whine that they are hungry or thirsty. It gets to a point the parent feels frustrated and tells the child to leave the room so they can work and the child screams angrily at the parent and stops out. How would we like to role play? I guess I'll start by, we'll start stop in me. the car. Stop me at the room, start by stopping yeah. at home. So we'll probably start, this is the background story okay. and we can start from when you've stormed out the room and the parent comes in to check in on you. Okay, so I've stomped out the room. <laughs> Something out. <laughs> yeah, very angry child. Yeah. Hey, Dina, I've what's what's happening? I can see that you're feeling really, really upset at the moment. Can you tell me what's going on? What happened? I don't know. You're not really sure. No. Yeah, it sounds like you're a lot more upset today than you usually are, and it sounds like you really wanted me to kind of notice that something's going on did something happen at school yes yeah would you like to talk about it i couldn't play the game today oh you couldn't play the game today what game was it 
I was chasing I was chasing Rebecca. Ah, you were chasing Rebecca and then what happened? I couldn't catch her. Ah, uh, you were chasing Rebecca and you couldn't catch her and that really upset you. Yeah. Yeah. And that and you felt really sad that you couldn't participate and play in that game because you couldn't catch her. Yep. Yeah. So it sounded like that was something that was really bothering you today and really, really upsetting you today. Yeah, I wanted to catch her, but I couldn't. Yeah. That that sounds so frustrating. I would be very frustrated if I couldn't catch someone too. Yeah. So what Yeah, so what would you like to do now to kind of make you feel a little bit better? What would help you? Can we go to the park? Sure, sure. Let me finish up what I'm doing in here and then we can go to the park, okay? Okay. So that sounds kind of simple, um, yeah. that, that scenario. And thanks for well-playing. You're a brilliant <laughs> seven-year-old. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it can be that simple and it, it, it does take a little bit of investigative. You know, at the beginning I did ask a few questions. But it was important for me to not jump in and go, hey, you can't talk to me like that. I'm your parent. You can't speak to me. I kind of just cut that off and go, hey, hang on. What's going on? Because you're normally not like this and there's something else going on and I, I might have missed it. So it's important to kind of recognize what's happened. And in this scenario, you know, the little girl had um, was upset about something at school. It wasn't even about me as the parent. It was got nothing to do with me. It was because there was something going on at the back and, and um, something's happened. And that really upset her and she needed someone to hear and, and help her through those emotions because she didn't know what to do. So it's important to kind of, take that time if possible um, I often love telling parents because researchers says you know you only do, need to do it 30 to 40 percent of the time so it's not something that you can do all the time sometimes we're busy sometimes we're in the middle of something and we can't do it but you can always come back to it and also you don't have to do it all the time because it's exhausting if you feel like if you had to and you have to be a hundred percent but you just have to be that good enough parent and do that when you can I realized from the tone of voice as well, and that sort of really helped to diffuse the situation. Yeah. And it's sort of like, okay, it means she's being nice. It means I can sort of reply in a similar way. So I think yeah. when we were talking about um, how it helps the children's development, I definitely feel like that would be such a great way to sort of introduce yeah. um, positive communication. Yeah. And that reminds me, you know, with that tone of voice, if you get heightened and exaggerated, they follow because they try to match your pitch. If mm -hmm. you calm yourself down and you pull that tone down, they don't have to yell as loud for it to be heard. So they calm down as well. Same with the body language. If you're trying to talk to them, but your body and your back is not turned towards them, they don't know you're talking to them and they don't feel heard, but it's, it's almost like kind of turning towards them getting down to their level and going, hey, what's going on? So, for example, if I was talking to the seven-year-old, I probably would have, you know, moved and stood right in front of them and gotten down on my knees and going, hey, what's, what's happened, what's going on, depending on the height of the child, of course, mm -hmm. but bend down to their level so that they know you're talking to them because that that is part of that communication is that body language and tone of voice. So that definitely makes sense what you were saying. With that, for example, I think you were talking about the only have to be there about 30, 30% of the time. Yeah. How would you sort of play that sort of soft tone 
as a teenager to towards a teenager because I know that's like being a recent teenager myself <laughs> I sort of know that there's a lot of ways that a child a child is very different to a teenager yeah and a child definitely has a lot more heightened a lot more they know a little bit more about the world to sort of know how to how they would like to communicate yeah yeah so how would you sort of do that as a parent to a teenager would you still use that tone of voice or would you try a different kind of method I would probably it depends on the teenager some and depending on how teenagery they are so mm-hmm. like you know 13 14 you could still do the same thing older teenagers may be a little bit different because they might not want to talk about feelings they might not want to um, have those words but it really depends on what the teenagers like and how um, and how they are open to it you know if they don't like that tone of voice maybe you switch it up a little bit so I would still start off with that tone of voice first because it's a genuine tone of voice and you just want to hey what what's going on what's happening I mean you could use that tone of voice with an adult and go you know it might be you telling me something one day and I'd be like okay what, what, what's happening you're getting really upset can you tell me what's going on and what's what's happening because if you think about it, that tone of voice doesn't really matter whether they're a young kid or older. You might want to um, kind of act a little bit um, more um, firm with teenagers, but at the same time, they probably like the warmth anyways in that voice and it, it helps them. If you notice that they're bouncing back and they don't like it, and you go, okay, so what's happening? What's going on? Or it might be that they might need another parent to kind of, you know, if you can tag team parents, maybe someone else can speak to them in, in that as well. But um, it's really hard to say you just have to change up your tone of voice because you never know what kind of tone of voice they like. It depends on their mood. It might just be that at that moment in time, they're not wanting to talk to you at that moment. You go, okay, I'll come back and speak to you later. It might just be that. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like it's very situation-based. Yeah, yeah. With that, how would you sort of say, um, for example, because this is sort of similar to one of the audience questions as well, Yeah. how would you do that with the time spent? Because the parent is, for example, working mm. and being a single parent and working full time, it's really hard to sort of have that one-on-one conversation. So the child is basically a lot of the time at daycare throughout the time that the parent's working. And picked up a lot of ways of communication from other kids or from the people at daycare. Yeah. You sort of still reiterate that positive communication in a child with the parent not being there all the time. So how to communicate with them when they have less time or little time with the children. Yeah. Yeah. So that that comes back to the, the beginning point of spending quality time. When you're able to spend quality time with them, you're actually building in time where you can communicate and connect. You might be really busy during the week doing this, doing that, but maybe it's bedtime for 10 minutes that you connect with them and you spend that quality time reading a book together. That's a time to communicate. Hey, how's that? You know, how's how's your, your school day been or what's daycare like? It might be during dinner time. Some, some um, families like the family dinners and they kind of have chats then. It might be... It depends on how long the bath time is. It might be chat there. You kind of work it into your day-to-day routine if you can, but not stressing out that you have to do it every day as well. So when I say spending quality time, I, I get parents to often do, 
you know, once a week, maybe 30 minutes once a week. It has to be realistic and doable. And when you have those quality time, you know that you have those ways of communicating with the kids because you haven't seen them for all day, but you can connect in that 30 minutes that you've set aside time for. It's really hard to obviously drop everything and do that. But if you factor in some time, that definitely is really helpful. The other thing is for slightly older children, if you feel like you're missing out some of the communication with them, I've had parents where they do communication books with the kids so that they get to write down what's happened or what they want to talk to the parents about and the parents will read it and then come back to them in their special time and do that so that the kids don't have to hold on to it. They can actually write it down and do that and then parents can come back to it and have chats with them later on. Um, but definitely that spending quality time and doing that, those two things would be most helpful because I guess, you know, it is understandable when you're a single parent and when you have really lack of time, it's really difficult to do it ad hoc and on the spot. But if you can put some time aside every week, that would be the best way for them. I mean, even if you just sit and play with them for half an hour, like for kids at daycare that are at daycare kids, you just sit and play toys with them for half an hour, let them take the lead do the play with them, that's actually very helpful already in that communication connection. You're communicating without knowing. You're connecting without knowing by doing that as well. So you've talked about um, other parents that you've sort of um, helped along the way throughout your practice. What are some common mishaps or miscommunications um, that sort of happened yeah. between a parent and a child? Often, one of the biggest one that I've seen often is that parents expecting the child to be the one to step in and do things differently. Mm-hmm. And and that's very common because it's like, oh, you know, they've done this and they're doing it deliberately or uh, they've, they've, they're just, you know, they're just pushing my buttons and they're doing it on purpose. But what we need to know is that, yes, the child is upset. Yes, it seems like they're pushing your button or, yes, they're, you know, they, they should be old enough to do that. But are they? Are they old enough to, to know to step out? Or are you as the adult old enough to know that you've actually to be the one to step in and help them in those, in those situations? Um, you know, often we're trying to control and get the child to do things differently. But we can't actually get them to do things differently if we don't do things differently. We have to be the one to influence them and we have to be the one to take our time to prioritize them other than vice versa. Because what we do and how we do it will show to them how important they are, but also how they would treat us when they become teenagers as well. Imagine, you know, the parent that goes, oh, I'll come to you later. I'll come to you later. Then when they get to the teenage years, you see the child going, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. They do the exact same thing. And that's because they, they've learned that behavior from the modeling of the parents, not that the parents deliberately taught that to them, but it's that modeling that they've learned. So sometimes you know, the biggest mishap is sometimes recognizing for the parents, it's hard because to recognize you're the one that needs to change or you're the one that needs to be the influence. It's hard because that's being self-critical as well. But not telling parents to be self-critical, but just being mindful that if we want the children to change, we want them to act differently, we've got to do something different to help with that. We're the one, we're the biggest influences for them when they're young and at that age. Even for teenagers, we want them to speak to us nicely, we've got to speak to them nicely. I've often hearing um, parents going, I don't like them yelling, yelling at me from across the room. But when you call the kids, you're yelling at them across the room. 
Yeah. So it's they're doing the exact same thing, but you don't want them to do that. So how do they learn the other ways you role model what you want them to do? So that's the biggest mishap that I see with parents as well. And it's nothing to do, you know, the parents don't realize it sometimes or they're just frustrated. But at the same time, it's also um, a slightly the easier way is that we have so much power to help influence them and help them through it by what we do and changing a bit of our mindset of how we see things. So back to that little point that I said, you're trying not to um, take it personally, try not to think that they're doing it against you. There's something else going on there and we're here to help them. It's really interesting to sort of see, um, I think definitely just the way that communication can take place. Like you were saying about um, learning by actions, not by like, I think the whole idea of like learn by what you do, not what they say. Yeah. Takes yeah. very big precedent in this. <laughs> it's it's really incredible to see how impactful a parent can be on a child mm. and how impressionable they can be. Yeah. Um, there's another question that I sort of really do think fits into this. Um, with the way that um talking about the tone of voice going back to the tone of voice yeah the child is definitely the kind of child that's very aggressive and it sort of fits in I think it changes with culture as well it's definitely something that that's very different like it's a very um they come from a Arab background and I do think that sort of fits in sometimes because there is like cultures that are very a lot more loud and a lot more um outspoken than some than others yeah so how do you think culture fits into the communication between a parent and a child I think how culture fits in is also how the parents are brought up in that culture too Mm -hmm. so sometimes how they're brought up or how they understand how communication happens or how emotions are or what emotions are about or how to deal with emotions, that affects some of that communication with the child because it affects um, how they, what they're comfortable with or what they expect in that communication as well. And, look, I think with culture, you, should, you just have to be mindful, really. Each family is different. If you're okay with how the child is responding to you, then that's fine because if that's your culture, that you, that's how people talk. They're loud. They're happy. They're, they, they talk quite um, in a aggressive tone but not aggressive because I know there's some culture where it's aggressive tone but it's not actually aggressive that's just how they do if you're okay with that that's fine it's more of if you're not okay with that then something needs to change I think that's the same with every culture if you're not okay with that then there's something that you need to do differently to help them learn in a different way so it's really for each family to recognize what values they want to instill in the child what kind of um what what they want to teach the child and how they want the child to understand this culture and what it's like as well because really speaking loudly doesn't mean you're rude or aggressive that just might be how you communicate or how they've learned to communicate growing up you know as parents that's that might be how it is if you want your child to do the same that's fine if you don't then there's something that you might have to do differently. Um, and I guess also being mindful a lot of times because we're in Australia, this multicultural is that um, you might teach one culture somewhere. The school or the daycare might be slightly different or, or their friends, but being able to respect that each culture is different. And this is a good learning opportunity for kids to learn that each culture is different, each person is different, and it's okay. 
and comes back to the whole understanding where they're coming from and their perspective you know being that doesn't mean they're being rude they might have been really excited um that might just be how they're very passionate about something so it's almost having that conversation with the child about saying how everyone's unique and that's okay so we've got a little bit of time left um we always love to sort of give the guest an open mic where (laughs) you get a chance to talk about anything that you're passionate about it doesn't have to be related to the topic just something that you have been really passionate about it can be recently or it can be um something that you really want to connect with the audience sure um I think one thing that I'm really, really passionate about when I work with parents and families, especially um, when I work, because on, on the Parental Eco app, I do a lot of conversations with them or sometimes we do video calls and things. The first thing I always get parents to be mindful of is have they taken care of themselves? Because what happens is we talk a lot about the child, what we can do, how you respond to the child. But as parents, if we're not okay and we're not taking care of ourselves, it's that oxygen mask analogy, you know. When the plane drops the oxygen mask, they always tell you to put it on yourself first before your child. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is if you put it on the child first and you pass out, the child's nowhere to be protected in that moment because you're the adult is not there. But if you put it on yourself first and the child passes out, you're still there to put that mask on the child and make sure the child's okay and make sure the child is safe. But as parents, we always prioritize everyone else beforehand and we forget to take care of ourselves. And a lot of the parents that I speak to, whether it's on the app, whether it's outside, is that they always forget that they can take care of themselves. It's like, oh, everyone else needs me to be met first and they forget. It's almost like giving them permission that it's okay for them to do something nice for themselves or to take care of themselves. Because when we're highly strung, we're not then available for the kids. Mm-hmm. And we're just as important in that family unit that as the rest of the people in there as well. If we want to take care of ourselves and we're okay, we're going to make life a lot easier when we're trying to deal with other emotions and other things that are going on. So I always get parents to do, you know, do something nice for themselves, you know, whether it's just five, 10 minutes in, in the week, I'm not even saying every day in the week, whatever's realistic and doable, it might be to make yourself an extra cup of coffee. That's nice. It might be, um, if you're, if you get to, maybe you get to go out and do a little bit of a walk or a run by yourself and do that. You know, it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be something that's half a day or a day. It's great if you can have a weekend away. That's perfect, and that might be something that you can do once in a year, or you can do it more frequently if you're if you're able to. But having some little little one times to kind of take care of yourself is really helpful. It really makes you feel really good about yourself, but also it gives you a little bit of time to rejuvenate and reset yourself before you're coming back to deal with all the chaos or anything that's happening Mm -hmm. as well because often parents nowadays they juggle they juggle either multiple kids they juggle work they juggle um caring for other people there's lots of stressors going on so we need to definitely take care of ourselves and make sure we're okay in that um i remember having conversations with a parent about self-care and she was saying i have to schedule this in i have to do this and i was like well that doesn't sound very relaxing that's not really self-care if you're stressing about not doing self-care yeah self-care kind of needs to be something that relaxes you and it's you know if you can't do it don't don't feel bad about it it's something that you're doing nice for yourself it's not something that it needs to be um a chore it needs to be something that is because you need to relax and it's for you to feel good it's great if you can schedule it into your day i'm not saying not to schedule it but not to stress about it as well 
going off of that, just real quickly, just before we run out of time, how you listed a few recommendations as to how you can sort of do self-care. Yeah. How often would you say, I think you said just about once a week or a couple times a week that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably say, look, at least once a week if you can do that self-care. Um, you know, if you do it once a week, maybe half an hour of some downtime for yourself, reading, um, going out for a coffee with a friend or even just having some quiet time after the kids go into bed, that's, you know, that's that's really nice. If you can do it more, then do it. There's no really limit of how much self-care you need to do, but at least once a week to kind of just give yourself that time to relax and rejuvenate and calm down and reflect on the week even if that's what you want to do. And when I say kind of take care of yourself, it's not trying to do housework, house chores, getting the house together, but actually sitting down for some time for yourself. So that's what I'm saying five to ten minutes if you can for one of the nights because that's more realistic and doable, especially for parents that are working full-time, single parents especially. You know, that five to ten minutes might be gold, <laughs> you know, to have that little quiet time. Um, but, you know, definitely once a week would be definitely the aim. If you can do it more, great. If not, that's okay as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So what is, I think you're talking about parental EQ and what services, um, what, yeah. what are the specific services that your, that, that platform offers for parents? Yeah. So it's actually a platform. It's, it's, um, it's an actual app that you can download onto your phone, whether you have an Android or an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, psychology simplified for parents so basically in the app there's lots of little modules that have um, tips and tools of how to use certain parenting strategies it might be how to deal with anxiety it might be how to um, spot strengths for for children it might be how to um, manage um, fears and worries so there's lots of little modules where you have um, it's audio so parents can actually listen on the go it's audio modules that are short and sweet where they talk through some of the strategies they have activity models that they can do with their kids as well Um, and then also on the app um, they can chat to an expert so we have experts that you can talk to and ask questions you know hey my child is like the questions that you had, you know, my child's doing this or I have this happening, what can I do? And the experts will reply to them within 24 to 48 hours to kind of chat to them and chat them through scenarios of how to work through some of these strategies or work through some of these things, maybe link them back to the app and say, hey, have a listen to this and see if this is helpful. Um, and also if they need it further more support, they can actually book a session with the experts and have a longer chat with them about it as well. So it's a tailored service for parents and for each parent's scenario and situations as well. And it's just on the palm of their hands in their phone. Well, that's very, very convenient, <laughs> especially for parents yes. on the go. Finding something, quick answers or just even looking into the forum would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely. (laughs) So I really, really loved talking about this today. I feel like it's definitely a topic that a lot of people with or without kids definitely need to learn, especially if you have kids (laughs) in the family. It's definitely something that would be very beneficial. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I would love to uh, thank you for joining me today and thank you for talking about it and sharing your expertise it's definitely helpful it's definitely something that especially the um 
putting yourself in someone else's um someone else's shoes yeah that part would be really something that I think even I need to sort of take into consideration <laughs> every now and again yeah yeah so thank yeah. you so much for joining me today Stephanie no problem. thank you for having me it was lovely speaking to you you've been listening to Raising Parents the Parenting Science Insights Podcast produced by the Parenting Science Labs a division of LMSL the Life Management Science Labs more episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.